0: Let's pray together. Our great and heavenly Father, Lord of heaven and earth, we thank thee that thou hast called us out from among the nations and gathered us together as thy people. We thank thee that thy grace abounds to us on this thy Lord's day as we have heard thy word preached and read in our hearing. And we pray, Father, that thou would continue uh, with this preacher to give thy word without mixture, that it would be free from the doctrines and commandments of men and that it might have its, uh, its true work in sanctifying our thoughts and our hearts and our actions as we proceed forth through the day and into many days hence. We pray, Father, that thou would fill our skirts and give us much to meditate on and to feed upon for many days hence. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you would please, as you take your seats, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. We will be reading from two texts of scripture for this morning's sermon, or this afternoon's sermon, Old Habits Die Hard. Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, let us hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn. And his disciples were in hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. But he said unto them, Have ye not read what David did when he was in hungered and they that were with him? How he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat neither for them that were with him, but only for the priests. Or have ye not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, ye would have not condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is man, a man better than a sheep? Wherefore is it lawful to do well on the Sabbath days? Then uh, saith he unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand, and he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole, like as the other. And if you would please also turn with me to First Samuel 21. Verses 1 through 9. 1 Samuel 21, beginning at verse 1. Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David, and said unto him, Why art thou alone, and no man with thee? And David said unto Ahimelech the priest, The king hath commanded me a business, and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee. And I have commanded thee, and I, and ha, I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Now therefore, what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in mine hand, or what is there, there is present? And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread under mine hand, but there is hallowed bread, if the young men have kept themselves at least from women. And David answered the priest and said unto him, Of a truth, women have been kept from us about these three days since I came out, and the vessels of the younger men are holy, and the bread is in a manner common, yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel. So the priest, gave him, uh, the priest gave him hallowed bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread that was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. All right, we'll stop our reading there for the time being. So brethren, as with every aspect of our lives, our goal as Christians is to continue to reform our life and our practice according to the word of God and to walk humbly before him in submission to all that he has commanded. One aspect of that is that we would continue to examine ourselves with regards to our Sabbath keeping. I will say as we come about out of a reading of Deuteronomy 6 that this had actually come at a time when we were going through 1 Samuel in our family worship, and had caused me much opportunity to consider and to meditate on what it means that there are works of mercy and necessity on the Sabbath day. And I was reminded of that this morning, so for now, let me get me out of the way, and let's let the Word of God speak. For the larger catechism, it gives us some direction as to how the Sabbath is to be sanctified, and I'm going to read that now uh, as our quotation. How is the Sabbath of the Lord's Day to be sanctified? The Sabbath of the Lord's Day is to be sanctified by a holy resting all the day, not only from such works as are at all times sinful, but even from such worldly employments and recreations as are on other days lawful, and making it our delight to spend the whole time except so much of it as to be taken up in works of necessity and mercy in the public and private exercises of God's worship. And to that end, we are to prepare our hearts with such foresight, diligence, and moderation to dispose and seasonably dispatch our worldly business that we may be the more free and fit for the duties of the day. When we look at this Answer that is given by our divines, we notice that there is a negative and a positive aspect of what they are presenting here. The negative aspect is, of course, that we are to not only refrain from those sinful activities that are sinful at all times, but also that we are to set aside our worldly employments and recreations, and then positively, that we are to take up public and private exercises of the worship of God. All the day. And then they have this parenthesis in there. Except, uh, let me see here, get the words right. Except uh, such as may be taken up in works of necessity and mercy. What does that mean? Right? If we are to um, consider how we are to reform our practice, really it's important that we fill up those words with what God's word has to say. In today's sermon, we're going to be examining what are works of necessity and what are works of mercy and how might we sanctify even those works unto the Sabbath day. We must ask ourselves those questions. They're extremely important to us. And so let us begin our study by looking at the proof text that our divines used for this purpose. And that's Matthew 12, 1 through 13. Now, I will say, uh, as a way of aside, this passage here has parallel passages in both other synoptic gospels. You can find it in Mark 2, 23 through 3, 6, and Luke 6, 1 through 11. As kind of a hermeneutical note here, while it is important when we approach the synoptic gospels to get a reading of all three, especially when they all present the same circumstance, it's also important to us to consider why the author may have excluded some things or included others, and that will help us in our exegesis. This will come out a little bit later as we proceed through this passage. So in Matthew 12, 1 through 13 Matthew aims to draw a contrast between the legalistic disposition of the Pharisees and the proper understanding of the Sabbath day practice. At the end of chapter 11, our Lord pronounces that renowned call, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. Is it not then... Proper, that Matthew should continue with an example of our Lord's practice on that great symbol of our hem- heavenly rest in the Sabbath day? And so what he's going to do is he's going to proceed to a set of circumstances, in, uh, two different sets of circumstances on two different Sabbath days. In the first instance, in verses 1 through 8, we see Jesus and his disciples passing through the corn. Okay, No doubt, as was our Lord practice, he was probably busy about moving from the synagogue to some sort of private residence where he would continue in in private duties of worship or some other such thing. But we can rest assured, although the the text does not say so, that their journeying was in support of a proper keeping of the Sabbath in some way. And while they were passing through the corn the disciples became hungry, okay? Travel back then, children, was not like travel today. They did not have nice cushy cars with air conditioning where they could travel very comfortably, perhaps with some snacks in the middle console, right, from one place to another. Instead, they had to walk from one place to the other or ride a donkey or a horse or other such things as that. And so the disciples, as they're walking through the field, avail themselves of the provision in Deuteronomy 23:24 through 25, which speaks to landowners that when they harvest their fields, they are to leave the corners of their fields for the poor and the needy so that they might take and have some nourishment for themselves. And so what do they do? They reach up, they take, they put it in their hand, they rub it together to get the chaff off of it, Blow it away, pop it in their mouth, continue on their way. We note the moderation of that activity. They did not take from the corn, gather it up into a heap, take it home, break it all to pieces in a mill or other such thing, prepare it, cook it, Uh, And get it all ready and do that. They did the minimum amount necessary to satisfy the necessity of the time and moved on. However, the Pharisees, standing in wait for an occasion to accuse Christ, found an opportunity in this circumstance. They say, behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. Notice that the Pharisees are not blaming the disciples for picking the corn or the grain on the corners of the field. There's a direct commandment in Deuteronomy that allows them to do that. Instead, we know that the Pharisees were legalists and hypocrites who built up a system of man-made doctrines and commandments around the law to place burdens upon the people of God beyond that which God has revealed. Jesus will describe this later in Matthew 23, 4-5 when he says, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers, but all their works they do to be seen of men. It is not an uncommon instance for hypocrites and legalists to be uh, exact upon the external observance of something and yet missed the heart of it entirely. They preferred strict conformity to external observances and ceremonies. They would prefer that the disciples continue hungry rather than to be refreshed in their bodies so that they might be more equipped to go about the duties of the day. Let this never be said among us, especially as we are talking about the subject of necessity and mercy. Not to be censorious of one another in that. But the true purpose of the Sabbath was pushed aside and replaced by a mere external observance of laws and rituals. Okay. So they ask this question. Why do your disciples do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day? And so Christ proceeds with five arguments. Some of them you will see in Matthew. You will see one in, uh, in Mark that does not exist in Matthew. But Matthew is the most full, so we'll keep that as our main text. And I'll point out where the other synoptics add some additional clarity. Five arguments. The first argument is taken from 1 Samuel 21, where we had just read about uh, David eating of the showbread. Now, to provide some context around this, just for our memory's sake, here's what was going on. David had just had confirmation from Jonathan about the murderous intent of Saul. And so he fled. Notice in the passage, if you continue reading, he also didn't have a sword. He didn't have provisions. Him and his men were making a rapid escape from Saul, and they come to the Lord's house to Ahimelech, who was the high priest at the time. Okay? Now, when we see this, we see David come to Ahimelech and and say to him, I am on, a, uh, on an errand from Saul. Now I'm going to leave aside the fact that David lied in that instance. You can take that up for your private meditations later. However, he, he appeals to Ahimelech and says, Do you have any provision? And Ahimelech says, I don't have any common bread under my hand. All I have is the showbread that was removed from before the Lord to be replaced by fresh And since there was no common food there, um, we see that Ahimelech giving that sacred bread was not unlawful in that instance in order to meet David's necessity. So we have a positive command given in the Old Testament concerning the showbread. And it was not unlawful for him to partake of those things. Calvin will say on that passage, the ceremonies of the law are not violated where there is no infringement of godliness. There was no, nothing on the part of Ahimelech or David that were seeking to do violence to the ceremony, but only to meet a necessity. Okay. The second argument that he'll make is that uh, Christ appeals to the servile work of the priests which were necessary for the furtherance of the worship of God. If all servile work is a violation of the Sabbath, the priests would find themselves blameworthy uh, in the prosecution of their ceremonial duties. We just had the opportunity to go through Leviticus and think of all the work the priests had to do. Slaying and butchering beasts, filling the oil in the menorah, removing and replacing the showbread, feeding the fires of the altars, instructing the people, and other aspects of ordering and facilitating the worship of the Lord that was common in those days. I will say here that your pastor does a lot of work on the Lord's Day, such that many of us have seen him afterwards quite tired. It's a lot of work to put Uh, to further the worship of of God on the Lord's day. And yet, this servile work is necessary in order to further the worship of God among the people. Okay, so now um, our Lord has knocked down two different types of works of necessity, hasn't he? One, a work of necessity that is not in furtherance of the Lord's worship, and one that is. So then he continues to the third argument. And he says uh, that uh, he, uh, the third argument is derived from Hosea 6.6. 6. If you would turn with me there. We're going to read the passage surrounding that. We're going to start at verse 4. O Ephraim... What shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as the early dew it goeth away. Therefore I have hewed them by the prophets, I have slain them with the, by the words of my mouth, and thy judgments are as the light that goeth forth. For I desired mercy, and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. But they, like men, have transgressed the covenant. There, there have they dealt treacherously against me. Gilead is a city of them that work iniquity and is polluted with blood. And as troops of robbers wait for a man, so the company of priests murder in the way by consent, for they commit lewdness. I have seen an horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is the whoredom of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. Also, O Judah, he hath set and harvest for thee when I return the captivity of my people. The Lord draws together the situation that exists in Hosea's day to that which is present in the thought and practices of Second Temple Judaism. Because of the legalistic thought of the Pharisees and its tendency toward the external rights, they had laid aside the weightier duties of the law. They had neglected to understand the true purpose and object to which the ceremonies, which they so ritualistically observed, pointed. They placed all their stock in the external observances, rather than the duties of judgment, mercy, and faith. As such, the Lord reproves the Israelites in Hosea's day uh, by giving them these words that Jesus quotes part of this verse for. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice. The Jews thought that performing external rites of the ceremonial law had exhausted their duty. I went into the synagogue. I went in the temple. I brought my sacrifice. I did this. I did that. And those who make holiness to consist merely in external ceremonies and observances strip those ceremonies of their redeeming purpose and show themselves to be hypocrites, having the proper form of worship without the heart of it. We've heard about that just last week. Thus the Lord will put mercy as a part for the whole of that inward religion, that heart religion. Why? Because it is manifested in love for God and in mercy and love toward our neighbor. And then he says, and In the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. He proceeds further showing that the spring of mercy, namely the knowledge of God or saving faith, where one puts the entirety of their trust and hope upon the grace and mercy of God and dedicates the whole of their being to his ser- service is preferable before the external right that is meant to point to it. The whole burnt offering was an offering of the whole animal that it might be dedicated unto the Lord to show that we, like that animal, dedicate our service to the Lord. What is the sign without the thing signifying? Empty. All right, so moving back to Matthew then, that's the third argument. The fourth argument only appears in the account of Mark, which says the, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And here the Lord teaches that any application of the fourth commandment that turns it into a burdensome and destructive ordinance has done violence to a fundamental purpose of the commandment. The Sabbath was made for man. The Lord, as our most wise creator and loving father, knows what we need and what will tend to our benefit. The Sabbath was designed to promote the temporal and spiritual welfare of man and thus ought to be observed in a way that is suited to both his moral and physical necessities. When we think about Sabbath, and this was a meditation I was having this morning, the Sabbath in relationship to when man was created. Man was created on the sixth day. When was the first Sabbath day? The seventh day. And what is God teaching man in this? The first full day of life you have will be a dedicated to my worship and service because that is your chief end. And then weekly you will be reminded of it. It was given uh, so that we might have opportunity to worship and serve our God without the distractions and burdens of other days. It was given so that we might reflect and meditate upon God's works of creation and redemption. It was given that the people of God might encourage and edify one another, having our hearts knit together in faith and mercy. It was given that we might have an opportunity to set aside the things which are temporary and fleeting and to know that our home is somewhere else. That there is an eternal rest to come. That the Sabbath every week serves as a weekly breadcrumb toward that heavenly kingdom which is to come. That's why the Sabbath was given. The Lord has not made men like beasts to be occupied with the things of this world. But he has made men upright that we might look toward the heaven and call upon his name. One of the principal reasons for the institution of the Sabbath is for man's benefit. And if this is so, we must recognize that our wise and heavenly father would not require that we do harm to one aspect of our being for the sake of another. When God redeemed us, when Christ saved us, he saved the whole man, body and soul. Brethren, our Lord knows that we are infirm. He knows that we have needs, that we are full of weakness. He knows that there are illnesses, hard providences, and persecutions that often afflict us. And would we then believe that the Lord would have us neglect the needs of our bodies or those under our authority simply for the sake of external observance? May it never be. The Lord and his disciples were employed in sanctified works on the Lord's day. Our Lord saw them famished, worn out in their journeys. Should the Lord have chastised his disciples for satisfying the needs of their flesh so that they might be refreshed and ready to do the work of the day? Surely any answer that would require a neglect of these necessities in order to stand on ceremony must cannot be said to do honor to the sabbath day. The final argument in this first section for necessity is the lord says the son of man is lord even of the sabbath. Let me make a brief note here. There have there are some who may assert that this statement is the lord exercising his divine authority to abolish the sabbath day that does violence to the text there is nothing in the text nor in the practice or teaching of our lord or in the practice or teaching of the apostles nor in the practice or teaching of the saints throughout history that would lead us to believe that the sabbath has come to an end we point to hebrews chapter 4 for instance for a direct statement to that regard The Lord is not overturning the Sabbath. He is instead establishing it according to its divinely intended purpose. In Luke's account, and this is where that hermeneutical note I gave you earlier comes to play. In Luke's account, only two of these five reasons are given. The one concerning David and this statement here. Okay, and this is instructive for us as we kind of unpack this text. There's a comparison that Luke seeks to draw between what David did in the day that he fled from Saul and came to Ahimelech and what the Lord is doing when he says that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath day. David, in eating the showbread, exercised a certain liberty and freedom in dealing with the things of God in his case of necessity. The letter of the positive law of the showbread was relaxed because of this necessity that is that he didn't uh it didn't stand upon the letter of the law but the principle behind the law so that an exact observance of the letter of law which was required uh was pushed not pushed aside but but mitigated by the case of necessity He did not exercise a freedom to abolish or to modify the ceremony, but deviate slightly from its sacred use to a common use in the case of necessity. There was no infringement upon the purpose, object, or character of what was being represented. And let me prove to you that here. What was the showbread meant to represent? The showbread was meant to represent the provision that the Lord supplies for his people in the 12 loaves set before the Lord and was daily refreshed. Okay? it's Some commentators have said about our daily bread that the showbread was a type or, or a symbol of the fact that the Lord continues to provide our daily bread. Okay? If that's what the sign is, should we withhold the sign? When daily bread is needed? Absolutely not. What would it be to say, No, we cannot provide this showbread to you, David, though you have a daily necessity, because we must allow the ceremony to stand, which shows that this showbread that the Lord shows in the showbread that the Lord provides for our daily meat? How backwards would that be? Thus the Lord employs the comparison in this statement. If David exercised the kind of liberty over this sacred positive ordinance in the things of God, how much more does the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, possess liberty and lordship over the moral duties of the Sabbath? As the Son of God, our Lord has supreme authority to to press or overturn the Sabbath day. But that's not what's being pressed here. What's being pressed here is that Christ, as the Son of Man, as the divine human Messiah, has the same liberty, having been made in the form of a servant made under the law, to exercise the same liberty as David did over, uh, over the showbread. Our Lord Jesus Christ uh, fulfills the law perfectly here. And so what he's pressing is, I am your Messiah. I am the divine human Messiah. If you want to know how to observe the Lord's day perfectly, look to me. Christ is the one who is rightly applying the Sabbath. He is the one who is filling up the law for us. He is the one who is the perfect embodiment of one who walks in perfect uprightness before the Lord. So, the Son of Man is even Lord of the Sabbath. Okay. So briefly touching on the second uh, part of this, this uh, passage here, Matthew 12, 9 through 13, uh, we see another instance. Luke accounts it on a separate Lord's Day. Matthew just flows one to the other. This is instructive for us because I believe Matthew is trying to pull these two instances together. Well, whereas the, uh, the Gospel of Luke We'll just, will say that it's on two different Sabbath days. So on another Sabbath day, our Lord enters into a synagogue and is confronted with the Pharisees who sought to entrap him. There was a man with a withered hand in the synagogue that day. And so the Pharisees ask him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? In reply to their wicked designs, the lord then presses the suitability of the works of mercy on the sabbath day and if we take the sum of the three synoptic gospels we'll note that his answer has two parts first he hearkens back to the law of god and gives a case he says if any of you have a sheep that fall into a pit on the sabbath day will you not take hold of it and pull it out what is a sheep to them piece of property the life of the sheep is at risk. Should they neglect the services of mercy to that possession, they will likely lose that property. And then Christ, asked, and this was right, even according to uh, the, the ordinances of the Pharisees, this was allowed to do, lest you risk losing property. So Christ asks the question Is not man more than a sheep? Is not man more than a sheep? If you can protect your property, Or the property of your neighbor on the Sabbath day, can you not do a work of mercy to the saving of someone's life? The second argument is even more pointed than this. The Lord asks, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save a life or to kill it, as it appears in Mark 3, 4? I want you to notice here how our Lord frames the question. It is not whether it is proper to do or not to do good. That's not what he asks. He says, is it uh, better that you should do good or do evil? And what is implied by the question? To refrain from doing a work of mercy on the Sabbath day is an evil. Right, and so this is even pressed more than works of necessity. Not only are works of mercy allowable on the Lord's day, but they are an essential part of the duty of the day. We should not neglect works of mercy. Okay, so having you know given some clarity to the text, I what I want to do is descend into some practical aids to help us conform our Sabbath practice to the teaching of our Lord. We cannot descend with works of mercy and necessity into particulars because there is a lot that is left to the Christian prudence and the general rules of the word, right? But what we can do is give some practical guidance of how we ought to think about those works of mercy and necessity to help us to sanctify those works more so on the sabbath day and so i want to pull out two general principles and then i want to descend into some practical remarks about works of necessity and works of mercy if time will allow okay the first principle the sabbath was made for man not man for the sabbath In making this statement, the Lord calls us to recognize that there is a distinction between ends and means. Ends and means. As our shorter catechism, question one says, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We know that that is the primary end. Man's primary end is not the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is a means unto our chief end. God gives the Sabbath and all other ordinances of God as a gift that we might grow in our faith, love, and devotion unto God. In the Sabbath day, the Lord knows our frame. He knows our weaknesses. He knows that we need a day every week to lay aside our worldly employments and recreations and to elevate our hearts and our minds uh, to that which is heavenly. If I might be granted the liberty of quoting from the Reverend Thomas Watson, he notes, "The Sabbath day makes our interest uh, makes for our interest. It promotes holiness in us. The business of the weekdays makes us too forgetful of God and of our souls. The Sabbath brings God into our remembrance. When the dust of the world falling off, ha, falling hath clogged the wheels of our affections that they would scarce move toward God, the Sabbath comes and oils the wheels of our affections and now they move swiftly in religion. Therefore God hath appointed a Sabbath to ripen our holiness. On this day the thoughts... Contemplate heaven, the tongue speaks of God, and as the pen of the ready writer now drops, uh, now the eyes drop tears, now the soul burns in love. We'll stop there. If you want to read more of that, uh, you can look in the Body of Divinity. It is a kind condescension of God that He has appointed a time for us to gather as a people, to meet with us. And to shed forth his grace and blessing upon us. Our divines in the past have noted. That let's say some dignitary. Makes an appointment with you. And says. I'm coming to your house today. President of the United States. Senator. King. Queen. Take your pick. Doesn't matter. And he says. I'm going to come to your house today. And I'm going to hear your petitions. I'm going to talk with you about the things concerning the kingdom. I'm going to allow uh, time and effort and attention, give it, and give it just to you for a day. Let me ask you, brethren, how much preparation would go into meeting that appointment? Would we not plan out days in advance? What are we going to set out to eat? How are we going to clean the house? How are we going to prepare ourselves? Maybe get our kids a haircut. right? Other such things like that. Brothers and sisters, has not the God of heaven condescended to make an appointment with you today? Does he have anything to gain by it? Has he not said, on this day I come to tabernacle among you, to gather you together as my people. On this day have, I have called you together. That you might offer up your prayers and petitions unto me. Hear my word. To have my spirit, grace, and blessing poured upon you. I would not have you go into another field. I would not have you be distracted by other cares and vain things. I want your attention on me for today that I may pour my blessing upon you? Brethren, if the sovereign God of heaven and earth has made an appointment with you on this day, if he has uh, called you and drawn you together with cords of tender love and affection, he has bowed his ear toward you to hear your prayers, to receive your praises, to speak unto you by the word of truth which is necessary for your soul's salvation, would we account this a light thing? Ought we not to lay aside the trifles of this world that we may delight ourselves in the dainties of heaven? Even more so, brethren, also take note of his kindness and mercy toward you and patiently and pitifully making provision for the cares and concerns of your whole person. We've often said here, What a blessing it is from the Lord that he has provided us seven days increase for six days of labor. Is there anything really pressing us in our society that makes our lack of attention on the Sabbath day such a burden to us? Really? He has given us more than we could ever ask or think. We here sit in a building with air conditioning. We have food ready, made for us outside. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. We have everything that we could possibly want. And yet, is this day to be a burden for us? Has he not taken care and mercy over us? The next thing I want to call your attention to, and I won't read the entirety of the passage because it's familiar to us and we're running out of time. But men are called to delight in the Sabbath day. The Lord has given us this great and precious gift. What should our response be? Our response should be to delight in the Sabbath. And we learn that from Isaiah 58, uh, 13 and 14. And I'll read the the, the verse 13. If thou wilt turn thy foot from the Sabbath from doing thy pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, And shall honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Then thou shalt delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. In this familiar passage, the Lord reminds us that the whole Sabbath is to be dedicated to God, and thus it must be kept holy. It is God's holy day. It is his possession. And so, as we heard last week, we must keep our foot. It is not ours to do with as we please. The Lord does not take kindly to having us trample on his holy day by doing our works, our pleasure, or speaking our words. But even more than that, he condescends to show us what is required given we have been given such a precious gift and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable. Notice that while carnal and worldly pleasures are forbidden. Not all pleasures are forbidden. Not all delights are forbidden. Holy pleasures, holy delights are not only um, n- not only allowed but commanded. <clears throat> A heart purified by faith will not find the Sabbath day to be burdensome or grievous as we see in 1 John 5, 3, but instead will take pleasure in the duties of the Sabbath. It will be to him a refuge from the miseries and toil of this world to be reminded again that this is not his final home. This is the day that the Lord has appointed for sweet and intimate communication between him and his people. Would not the heart leap for joy, anticipate its approach, Extend every effort to take hold of our blessed bridegroom, to taste the sweetness of his dainties, to bask in the glory of his presence. This is what delight looks like. Should not our hearts melt in the glory of his grace and be quickened and enlarged towards all his holy commandments if we had more delight in the Lord's day? A heart that delights in the Sabbath would not be so easily pulled away from the day's service by trivial things. And even in those things that do draw us away because of necessity, would not the heart that delights in the Sabbath be more diligent in removing any impediments or any case of necessity out of the way as quickly as possible, lest we be overgrieved that we have not been able to wring out every drop of grace out of the Sabbath day? It is this inward delight of the Lord's day that was neglected by the legalistic and censorious Pharisees. Delight in the Sabbath is the only only possible in a heart that is sanctified by faith. And it is this delight that issues forth in a proper keeping of the Sabbath. The Lord gives us faith we respond that, with that faith to have delight, love, and adoration for him and all his holy commandments. They are not burdensome or grievous to us. And no amount of legislation or restriction can produce or promote this delight. We must understand that. For the Pharisees, they thought, if we can just put these guards around it, Right? Add this legislation, add that legislation, only this many steps, only this, only that. Doesn't produce delight. If we have the delight, we would leap into obedience because we would not have it any other way. It is a fruit of faith. And this faithful delight in the Sabbath will regulate and inform our works of necessity and mercy and how they ought to be undertaken, because we would not be drawn away by trivial things. Okay, so having those two principles set before us, let's descend into some practical uses for works of mercy and necessity, or necessity and mercy in that order. The first point that I want to make comes out of our catechism question, which stresses, us, stresses to us the importance of preparation. Preparation. Here's an illustration that I was thinking about late yesterday. You know, oftentimes I'll watch my children when we're inviting somebody over to the house that they're really excited about. Right? Really excited that they're coming over. And it seems like it's so much easier to get them to pick up and do the things that they are supposed to do when they know something is coming and that they need to do those things in order to prepare for that thing. Isn't it? And even more so, when they know they're coming, what are they doing? They're going to the door. They're looking out the window. Are they here yet? Are they here yet? Why? Because they delight in it. Our preparation ought to look very similar, perhaps a bit more mature, but very similar. As we go about our week, we must develop and continue to reform what we have called in the, at our church the Sabbath cadence. As a Sabbath is considered the queen of days and, the source of, and a source of joy, it is important to manage the other six days of the week in a way that allows us to set aside our worldly tasks and obligations on the Lord's Day. This will help us to fully enjoy and observe the day of rest and worship. Now, note in Scripture that there's no set time for preparation. Now, the Jews, you know, in Christ's day had set aside a day of preparation. But in Scripture, there's nothing ordaining Saturday must be the day of preparation. And I think that there's a good reason why. Because we ought to be preparing every day of the week for the upcoming Lord's Day. We ought to be thinking as uh, using what the divines encourage us with, with these three words, foresight, diligence, and moderation. Foresight. If we understand the importance of the day ahead of us and walk in anticipation that it approaches, we'll be more diligent about the per, uh, preparing for it. We might ask ourselves, how can I dispatch my worldly business so even those works of necessity are lighter and less disruptive? to the pious duties that most properly belong to the sabbath may we perform some of the work during the other 6 days of the week that it might be lightened you know for instance we were talking about in our household preparing the meals ahead of time so that all they might need to be done and all that might need to be done is heating them up setting out the clothes making sure the van or the car is gassed up Making sure that things are loaded and ready to go. So that when the Lord's day comes, those things are much lighter. Should we look forward? uh, Also, we find ourselves distracted by the cares and concerns of the world as they enter into our minds. Because we're anticipating something in the upcoming week. Right? Is there a way that we can be diligent about our callings in such a way that we make preparations for the things coming up in the other week, so that when the Sabbath comes, you can go and say, no, I have made my plans for that. I'm going to thrust this out of my mind because it is not for this day. The plans are in place. And these things are going to vary from week to week as the situation arises. But are we using foresight? Are we looking toward? Diligence. Diligence. Are we employing ourselves to diligently working in our worldly callings and concerns throughout the week that we do not suffer the ill effects of procrastination? Having our minds encumbered and diverted or taken up that, with that which is unlawful on the Sabbath day. Are we being diligent during the other six days of the week so that the Sabbath day might be made more free? And finally, moderation. Moderation. Are we making provision for ourselves by moderating our weekly activities so that we have ample time to prepare? Are you moderating your activities in the week so that on Saturday you might get the proper rest that you need so that you might be awakened and refreshed on the Lord's Day? Are we making the time on Saturday or some other day of the week to confess our sins, to to read our scriptures, to Think about the sermons that were passed and anticipate those sermons that are coming in the future. All these things come in by moderation. If we are running at 100 miles an hour all six days of the week, is it any wonder we're out of gas when we hit the seventh? Preparation, anticipation. You have an appointment. And it's an appointment that you must be ready for. Regrettably, we are at time. I uh, far outstripped my notes. But I hope that you might have gleaned something uh, helpful. And perhaps we will take this up another time. Um, So let this be a matter of continued meditation on all our parts. I will tell you that in preparing for this sermon, there is a work on Sabbath sanctification by William Gouge you have the EEBO library or perhaps you can find it on Google Books it is very practical directions um, in a catechetical type format question and answer where he lays out several things to consider with regards to sanctifying the Sabbath that I know that you'll find helpful Um, I certainly did and so if you want to get ahead um, you can certainly look at that but I hope we we encourage ourselves here by recognizing that these works of mercy and necessity, they really only get in the way when we don't have that proper delight and perspective on the Sabbath day that we ought to have. The Lord has made provision. The Lord is patient, kind, wise, loving, long-suffering. He is going to make a way so that you can fulfill the duties of the day without burden. So let's use them in proper proportion, recognizing the main purpose of the day and laying aside anything that might uh, encroach upon that main purpose. Okay? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee again that Thou hast called us from among the nations and gathered us together and called us Thy people and, called, uh, and, and and commanded us to call Thee our God. We pray, Heavenly Father, that as we think about the great blessing that Thou hast bestowed upon us in giving us a Sabbath day, a time to come and to worship and commune with Thee, to have Thy word and grace shed upon us, we pray, our Heavenly Father, that Thou would help us to take more delight in it, to seek after that main purpose of the Sabbath, to glorify thee, and that we might be more sanctified and ready to fulfill all of thy commandments. We pray, Father, that thou would bless this sermon today and the hearing of it, and that thou might help us as we walk through the rest of the week to take greater care in how we approach unto thee in the coming weeks knowing that thou hast been so gracious to us and has heard our prayers and petitions and has called us in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.